to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. I've noticed a few things. So when we talk about like mental health, there's a lot of stigma attached to it, often because people confuse like mental health with like mental illness which obviously uh, mental health and mental illness, though they can tend to move in a direction and eventually overlap one another, they're they're, they're very separate things. All of us have mental health. All of us have had times when our mental health is in jeopardy and other times when our mental health is soaring and we're in a great, 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 safe place. There's all these sorts of variables. And there's one variable that I thought I wanted to start this series looking at because I feel like in today's society, this is one of the root causes for a lot of the basic problems that, that we feel so... Please forgive me, I'm not meaning to try and oversimplify something and make everything about this, but I'm gonna talk in that way because this is such a simple thing, such a base thing, and something that actually is one of the core fundamentals of Christianity. Um, if, you, if you love reading books, I wanna encourage one book, has nothing to do with mental health in any way, shape, or form, in, in what you read is it directly, but it's one of the most helpful books I've ever read. It's a tiny, tiny, small book by a guy called Andrew Murray, not the tennis player but um, a 19th century uh, South African revivalist minister, and the book is called Humility. It's a really, really small, 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 small book. And um, make sure you get the right one because you don't want to be reading it in the old English because that's, that's how old this guy is back in the day. So you'll be reading it and you'll be like, oh my gosh, gouge out my eyes, this is painful. Um, but it's a great, great, great book, and there's quite a few modern English translations. So Andrew Murray, Humility. So today what I want to look at is I want to look at Elijah because Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He's a really cool, cool guy. Um, It's a bit of a weird one. Recently I was speaking at a Redeemed Christian Church of God conference for like all the pastor's kids in their network. I didn't realize that's what it was. And when I turned up, there was like, oh my gosh. I mean, I was queuing up and they were phoning me like, where are are you? And I'm like, I'm stuck in the queue outside. There was like thousands and thousands of people trying to get into this building. And that's when I I nearly wet myself because I was like, ah, not quite prepared for this. So we had all these like teenagers and, and, and stuff there and it was just so strange because I remember sitting through the Q&A and I've sat through so many times like young people and young pastors kids doing Q&A with senior leaders of a network and stuff like that I've sat and seen that stuff loads of times and I was waiting for like the drugs questions like the, the sexuality questions all this kind of stuff and they were talking about beards and long hair and I was sitting on the front row and I remember turning to the guy next to me going I'm so sorry I'm totally not getting what's going on right now why are we talking about beards and long hair like it's a bad thing? Because like I'm the next speaker and I've got a big beard and long hair. Like I'm a bit worried right now. And he goes like, oh, it's a cultural thing. And then it carried on and there was guys standing up and they were saying like, I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to shave my head off just to be a minister. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are they going to shave my head before I speak? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like one of those moments where I'm like, oh dear, this is not, this is not great for me. And it was just this really, really kind of, we've, we've lost the plot here. Everyone knows like that every single man in the whole of the Bible had long hair and a beard, but Elijah, who I'm talking about today, who was bald. And some kids cussed him out, called him baldy, and then he called on the Lord and some bears came and ate kids. I mean, it's a weird story. It's one of those ones in the Bible where you're going, is that really in there? But this guy always makes me laugh because he's like the bald prophet. I don't know why that's funny for me, but it's just like a a thing that he has going on. Now, Elijah also has this insane moment where the children of Israel have been kind of caught between two gods. It's almost the way that Hosea talked about it when we did the Hosea series was about like running between two women. And the story of Elijah goes where it's like, you guys have been chasing after these gods, but then you've also been playing with 
our God that we've always had traditionally as a part of our people and a part of our identity, but then every now and then you're over here and then you're over there. And Elijah has this moment where he goes, let me just call this out for what it is because it's got to a madness. It got to the point where there's the king and the queen and the queen Jezebel who says, like, we need to kill these prophets. I don't want any of these guys about anymore. We need to kill them, end them. And all these prophets start being taken out and being killed. And Elijah starts to have this kind of like pity party mentality. And he starts to look at things not factually for how they are, but he starts to look at things very emotionally from how they are and very like he-centric and he-driven. And he has this moment where he stands before the nation and he calls it out and says, too long, you've been going between two. Today, we're going to pick one. And he goes, I'm going to do my offering over here to the Lord. They're going to do their burnt offering over there. They can do whatever they want over this side. I'm going to douse it with water on my side dig a trench around it, soak it out, and I'm gonna call on the Lord. And they're calling and they're calling on their God. And you know the story, it was one of my favorite ones as a kid growing up, and, and no fire comes down on their one. The guys are like cutting themselves, they're wailing, all sorts of like craziness. Nothing comes down. Elijah starts doing some great potty humor, because who doesn't love some toilet humor? And he goes, well, hey, you know, cry a bit louder. Maybe your God's on the toilet. He can't hear you. Um, It's kind of, what? In the Bible, party humor, love that. So he does all this, nothing happens. And then he's doused his in water. He's dug a trench around it and he calls on the Lord and it's just completely consumed. Like everything's just completely blown away by this. And the people make a decision. Well, yeah, we're totally siding with with God on this, our, our, our God of our forefathers. So they turn around and he goes, well, these guys had all, the prof- all these prophets killed, so it's time for these guys to get done. So then these guys all get killed over here. And one of the key things Elijah says, even at a great moment where he's about to cause a nation to make a decision and bring them kind of back to God, one of the things he keeps on saying is he keeps on saying a little line that stood out to me. He says, I and even I alone, only I. He keeps on talking about I, 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 I. And then there's this moment here where we're going to read from in 1 Kings 19. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. I love that. It's like an episode of 24 in the Bible. And then uh, you don't watch it. Just me. There we go. (laughs) Then he was afraid and those arose and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Which is a bit of a weird question, considering God sent him to Horeb to travel 40 days and gave him the food and the sustenance to get there. It's like, I'm kind of where you sent me. What are you doing here, Elijah? But this is also reminiscent of a question that you've, we've heard in, in, in Eden. Adam, where are you? This isn't so much just a question about where you are geographically. God wasn't asking Adam, like, my GPS is playing up. I can't tell where you are. I'm a bit limited in my capacity, a bit out of range, no reception. He's saying, where's the Adam that I knew and loved? 
In this moment, he's asking Elijah a question, a question that runs deeper than just like, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? What are you doing in this mentality? What are you doing in this attitude? What are you doing like this? He just had one of the greatest victories anyone has ever had in the Bible in causing an entire nation to forsake all these other gods and turn around. And now in this moment, because one angry queen is threatening him, it's, no new, it's not new, she just massacred a load of prophets. It's not like now his life is in danger. His life was already in danger. His life was already in danger. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He says, go out and stand by the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? At this moment, when God says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? You should know the answer you gave last time was not suffice. If God is asking you the same question again, he wasn't happy with the first answer. And Elijah says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of um, Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meloha, wow, that's a great one. Got to call my third child that if we have one. You shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all knees who have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. 7,000. So there's 7,000 people out there that are still, still going for God. There's a crazy thing, you know, before any of that where he's talking about even I alone, even I alone, it says there's a guy called Obadiah who was hiding 100 prophets in caves, cages, (laughs) in caves, and he was feeding them, 100. There's 100 prophets and there's 7,000 people that have not in any way bowed the knee to bow, but Elijah is still going around I and I alone. And, And just that, hearing that twice is enough for God to go, you know what, Elijah, you're finished, sit down. Elisha's going to take your place. Just hearing that. And I remember looking at that and it's the same with Moses. You see Moses striking a rock with a bit of attitude and not doing the Lord's instruction. And he's like, you're not entering the promised land. We're done. And you think of Moses and you think of Elijah and you think of two of the greatest people in the Old Testament. But there's, there's one thing that's going to eat away at your life. There's one thing alone that will ruin your relationship with God. There's one thing alone that ruins this planet. There's one thing alone that ruins communities. There's one thing alone that ruins nations. There's one thing alone that ruins friendships. And it always comes down to this. It comes down to pride. And it comes down to selfishness. And there's one thing in the Bible that the Bible lays out clearly as being the root of every single sin in the whole Bible always draws back to pride. That's why when I started, I recommended Andrew Murray's Humility because it's such a fantastic book. And it's why when we were doing like the Avengers Endgame and we had like the uh, Avengers training text discipleship thing, 
one of the text messages was to read Philippians as many times as you can because that book is a crazy book. When you start to read it, you're like, how is this? You have to keep telling yourself when you finish the book, this guy is amazing. What a liberating book. He's in prison. He's on death row. But he yet sounds more free than I've ever been in my life. He's got this humility, this level. Jesus, it says in Philippians, has the name above every name because he was in the form of God and did not consider it robbery to hold on to that, but let go, became in the likeness of men and, and died on a cross. And it's because he died and, and he rose again that he gets the name above every name because he bowed the lowest and served the most people. No one has ever served the entirety of humanity except Jesus. In his death on the cross, his servant, his humility of going from, he was in the form of God, but that's not his goal. His goal was to bow down low, to be like you and I, to die on a cross that we could be freed from our sins. I mean, that is the epitome of the most selfless person we've ever seen. And Paul says, have this attitude within yourselves. And you see in this moment with Elijah, it's all gone wrong purely because he's too busy banging about I. He's too busy banging the drum about I. Nelson Mandela, I always say this quote because I love this quote, says that poverty is created by the actions of men and can be solved by the actions of men. It totally can. There's eight people who can fit in one, body, in, in one golf buggy cart that has the same amount of wealth as the poorest 50%. Billions of people and those eight people. And those eight people could solve national and, and, and cities, the problems of nations. Probably if they got together, they could solve the problems of a continent. Do you see what I mean? But why won't they? It starts really subtle when you're really young. And it starts really subtle about this is mine. It starts really subtle about I. And God looks at his prophet and he's like, ah, oh, I need to bench you. It's time for a substitution. You've got to get off. You've got to, you've got to come off the pitch. I can't leave you on the pitch anymore. You're not playing for the team. You're, you're rating yourself above all these other... There's a hundred prophets I've got still going for me. And somehow you've got it in your head. You're above all of these guys and you're a big shot now. And, he, and God tries to teach him. After his first answer, he tries to teach him. He gives him the big earthquake. He gives him the big wind. He gives him the huge fire. I'm not in any of these things. And then he gives him the small whisper and he's covering his face and he's cowering and he's afraid. He gets this great reminder and then God goes, okay, now we've done this. What's the lesson here? What are you doing here? And then he says the same thing again. Oh, you, you're benched. You're done. Elijah's greater than any one of us here. So I'm not like cussing him out in any way, shape or form. I doubt any of us will ever achieve anything as significant as the things he achieved in this book. But these stories are, are recorded and, and passed down for a reason. And in the Bible, when God says something three times, he really wants you to pay attention. And there's this one verse, it's three times. It's in the Old Testament and it's quoted twice in the New Testament. It says, God is opposed to the proud, but the humble he gives his grace to. The humble he gives his grace to. And when we're proud, he'll take us away and he'll oppose us. And sometimes in life, when we're praying, we're praying, we're going, God, change this, God, change this, God, change this, God, change this, God, change this. Remove this, remove this, remove this. He's going, I can't, because I'm opposed to you. Because you've got to be a servant. I remember one of, um, a church leader I used to work for, be employed for, he's a great man, but could, like Elijah, he couldn't see. And we were sitting down and we were talking about his kids and he goes, I'm training my kids to be leaders. And I said, you've got to train them to be servants. Like, if they can't be servants first, they can't lead. If you can't serve, you can't lead. Like if Jesus can serve all of humanity, how dare I try and step up if I'm not willing to, to serve and bow low? Today's generation, I honestly believe one of the key aspects of mental health is pride. 
I mean, if you took anyone from any other generation in human history and you tried to explain to them what a selfie is, their mind would just be blown. They'd probably have mental health issues just from processing what a selfie is. And the fact you can go on your Instagram and just be scrolling, watching everyone's lives, and not just that, scrolling through selfie after selfie after selfie after selfie people. If that doesn't tell you, like, things are not okay, I don't know what will. The only time I'm taking a selfie, I'm next to Eden, because, like, I can't get Ari to take a picture of me. She just does, she just pars and mugs me off. But it's like, I'm getting to be in a picture of my daughter. That's why I'm, like, I'm never like, hey guys, look, my new angle today. Jeez, you'd want to see my new angle anyway. That's not the point. But society is all about this I mentality. And not just with social media, but we are so into reality TV. And there are people who are just pushing ahead to be famous for the sake of being famous. None of them are going like, I've got squad goals. I want to be like Nelson Mandela, change a nation and be known by everyone. They're just like, I'll be known for something and whatever it takes. They're like the opposite of the Avengers. Whatever it takes to destroy the planet but get my face on it, I'm there. Man, everyone is chasing after stuff. But we can take a note from Elijah, a man doing great things, but his mental health isn't too hot in this moment when he's hiding under a tree. And God brought him away to teach him a lesson and show him something. And it's a lesson he wants to teach you and I. We have this idea that we want to see the big earthquake. We have this idea we want to see the big Russian wind. We want to see the big fire. But God is, God is in the small whisper. And it's the small whispers that brings mighty people to their knees. It's the small whisper of God that, that transforms the nations. It's the small whisper of God that takes one person. And God is never in this like quick fix. He's in this thing where he's in, involved in someone's life and transforming it and using that person to transform someone else's and to pass it on. Because the goal of every individual is never about themselves. The point of Christianity is never a bless me club. It's never for me to experience unbelievable blessings that I can be alone all the time. It's that we come together and we work stuff out working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It says your salvation, the your is plural, not singular. It's together we work out, we take ownership of one another. I'm gonna pray for us today because actually this is probably one of the most, no one ever really talks about it and they won't talk about it in like the public sector, but this is probably one of the biggest reasons for why we have such strong mental health issues. Like not mental illness, mental illness is a totally different ball game, a long way away from there, but mental health issues. You know what, humility, isn't thinking less of yourself. This isn't destructive. It's thinking of yourself less. And that's such an important thing. People think about humility, that you think lowly of yourself. No, you can think so highly of your ability, your capacity. You can love yourself. You can have such respect for yourself, but just think of yourself less and think of others more. I've never met anyone who's like having mental health issues that's that's not, that's just always out looking at everyone else. I mean, this week, I had the craziest week. I'm gonna finish with this. Um, I've, start, I've got three jobs now. I'm now gonna be a chaplain in a school in South London. Um, I'm doing City Hill. And to fit in around it, just to make everything tie together, I'm working in a shop. Now, Jody knows this week, I had a crazy week. On the Monday, I saw what would look like the sweetest little eight-year-old white lady I've ever seen. And um, she was not. And she came into the shop, and I walked over to this sweet, sweet-looking old lady. Looked a bit like my mum and her mother, um, in between them. And I went over and I said, is there any way I can help you, ma'am? And she looked at me like this, and she carried on walking that way. Then went, and then came over to me, and went like that. And I thought, oh, you know, she's lost her voice, or she can't hear very well. So I've leaned in, and then she has just grabbed my beard, yanked my head down, pulling it, and says, wipe that S-H two letters 
off your face. And I'm there like, what? and then she pulls it again, looking right in my face. And I'm like, wow. Wow. And I just went, oh, my wife likes it. Be your own man, she said. I said I was my own man when I chose to marry my wife. I spent the rest of my life with her. She went, and then she went, there's marvelous things in this shop, and then walked out. And I'm just standing there like, you are cray cray. And then I've just started to compose myself and a guy comes in in a wheelchair and had the most narcissistic conversation I've ever had in my entire life. I've never met anyone more self-obsessed than this guy. And the other people I was working with, they were like, it, oh, it's because he's in a wheelchair. I'm like, no, it's not. I had a friend hit by a car. She's never gonna walk again. She's not like that. I've had friends, I've got friends of all different types of disability. And, and as you're chatting with this person, and then I'm walking up the road on my way home, and there's this really peculiar character. I don't wanna say who they are because they've got like a huge Facebook page. It's not theirs, but like they're like a, you know, every community has that one guy who like either looks like Jesus or dresses like a wizard or whatever, yeah. And this person is there outside the pub and they know me. If I walk past and I don't say hello, they shout abuse at me because they, they, they know me. And so they always want me to go talk to them, my kids and whatever, I'm like, ah, oh. I'm walking past and they've had a breakup. And I'm like, I'm looking at all three of these people and they have one thing in common. They have one thing in common, just in the space. This is in the space of like two hours. They were so unbelievably caught up in who they are, they can't see anyone else as valuable. It doesn't matter whether you have a disability, it doesn't matter if you're fully able, it doesn't matter if you're old, it doesn't matter if you're young, it doesn't matter if you're white, it doesn't matter if you're black, it doesn't matter where you're from. And it's not these three people, you absolutely start raving mad and they're so completely self-obsessed. I've noticed one consistent theme over the course of my life of how I've seen the devil destroy any life and it's always when he can get someone more and more and more obsessed with themselves to the point where they'll be so obsessed with their next career plan, screw everyone else. Screw everyone in my community, I'm going here. Screw everyone in my family, this is me. And we'll be willing to do whatever it takes to trample over to get there. And no one ever calls it out. Like, they're driven, they're ambitious. They're part of the problem. God calls you and I to be so different. I'm going to pray for us today. Father, I honestly believe in our society we are so self-obsessed that one of the best things we can do is think of ourselves less. Not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. I pray this week, Lord God, each of us will do something incredible with our phones. We'll flip the camera the other side and celebrate some other people on our social media, taking pictures of them. Hey, this person's amazing. Look what they're doing. I pray this week, Lord God, you'd help us to see those around us in our communities that just need a, need a pick-me-up, that need us to, to step out. Because actually, God, you saved us, not for us to experience a bless-me-cup, but you save us that we could do good works. We are saved for good works. I pray this week, Lord, that actually one of the things we'll find out is it's just like with forgiveness. We forgive others believing we set them free, but when we forgive someone or something, we set ourselves free. I pray this week, Lord, each of us will experience the freedom that comes from humility. The, the, the freedom that comes from flipping the script. For Jesus said, the servant among us is the greatest. And we just don't believe it. We act like he's a liar. Help us to be servant-hearted. Help us to have other people matter in our lives to the disregard of our own interests, just like Jesus did, just like Paul did. 
help us to not be so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't see the other hundred that are struggling alongside us. Help us to be an encouragement to them. Help us to not be so wrapped up in the I, even I only, but see that we're a part of something greater together. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.